and welcome back to the Howler Podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Mary. And we are on episode four. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As always, thank you so much to everyone that's been listening, um, writing in comments in the Howler Slack channel. We're so thankful for your support. um, And we're excited to continue to bring you these podcast episodes that you can get to better know our leaders. And I will say, I am so excited for this one. Mm -hmm. We were able to sit down and have a really long conversation with Claire Leverage. And I just left feeling so inspired. I may have cried a bit. (laughs) I just, I'm just, I can't wait for everyone to listen. And I hope everyone listens to the whole thing, every word. Yeah, it's a great interview. We were, I mean, Chelsea had said, like, I was holding back tears the entire time. And as soon as it ended, we had a great laugh. We'll see if what we were laughing (laughs) about makes the podcast. But yeah, like Chelsea said, we sat down with Claire Leverage. She's our VP and general manager in EMEA. Prior to working at Arctic Wolf, Claire has more than 20 years experience in sales and channel roles at companies like Data Domain and Nimble Storage, where she's grown EMEA um, businesses across EMEA. So like Chelsea said, it's an amazing conversation. We hope that like with all of the episodes, you feel connected to the greater community that we call the pack are inspired and um, just to continue on your mission with us of ending cyber risk. So let's jump into this convo with Claire. Okay, this is so exciting. Claire, welcome to the Howler podcast. We're so excited to get to chat with you today. Thanks, Mary. Hi, hi everybody. And first of all, sorry about my voice. I'm full of cold at the minute, so it might sound like I'm talking through my nose, but I'm actually not. We're so sorry to hear you're sick, but are grateful you're still making the time to be here. I know. I think it'll be really great for the greater pack to get a peek into the EMEA region and you as one of our leaders out there, um, especially for those that aren't as connected to all of the work that's happening in the EMEA region. No, that would be great. Thanks, Mary. Um, but to get started, we we thought we'd start with something a little fun, um, just, you know, to like bridge the gap between over here in the U.S. and you there. And we thought we could play a little like phrases game. So we thought maybe you could tell us some like common jargon phrases that you use and we could try to guess what they mean. And then I prepared a couple, too, from Minnesota <laughs> um, as well. So if you have any, we're ready. So, so I actually have loads of these and a little while ago, I actually made a folder somewhere and entitled it Nick Schneider's Dictionary because every time he comes over, I would say something to him and his answer would generally be, well, I have absolutely no idea what you've just said, but it sounds quite good. So I created a dictionary for him, but I can't find it. So I've started again. So this comes up all the time. So I've got quite a long list for you. So I'm just going to pick off. I'm going to pick off a few and see if you know what I'm talking about. So if I said to you, I'm knackered, what would that mean? I am so tired. Oh, well done. In one. Very good. (laughs) What about um, we're having a chin wag? Oh, I feel like I've heard this before, but I, I'm not quite sure. Um, okay, I love guessing. I we're having a happy hour, or we're having a fight. We're having a fight, a tiff. 
No, a chinwag is a chat. Where right now, oh. right now we're having a little chinwag, a little chat. Oh, I love this. Chinwag. Chinwag. Why, why is it called that? Do you know? Like that. Oh, so origin? I knew you were going to ask that, and I haven't prepared the the foundations okay. of all of these. But so let, I can come back to you on that. We can post that somewhere. <laughs> My dad is yeah, a big yeah. fan of knowing where everything comes from. Okay, what about? Mm taking the mickey is taking the mickey out of you oh, taking the happiness no yeah like, oh, i was thinking mickey mouse um taking the yeah i don't i don't know so taking the mickey means that he's mocking you so he's oh, he's jesting oh, you he's, he's mocking okay. you if you're taking the mickey what about do you use don't beat around the bush yeah, I, I feel do. like I've heard somebody say that. What about hit the sack? Got to yeah. You use that as well. Okay. What about that's not my cup of tea? Yeah. Oh, for sure. You use that yeah. as well. Okay. I'm not doing very well here. I've got a whole long list. <laughs> what about um, you're having a giraffe? Oh, Anna told me this. Is that like when somebody tells like a totally outlandish story, like they're lying to you? Kind of that you're lying, that you're having a giraffe, you don't believe somebody. If this, if you oh. say, oh, you're having a giraffe, you don't believe them. So like, it would be like if Chelsea told me she was going skydiving tomorrow, I would say you're having a giraffe? Or exactly. I would say I'm no, having a giraffe. No, you'd say she's having a giraffe. So like I'm lying to myself. Basically. Oh, oh, you're just not. Uh, yeah, it's something that's not necessarily true. Okay, Claire, I have a couple for you. And these are Minnesota specific. I am Midwest born and raised. Chelsea grew up on the East Coast. So Chelsea, I'm curious too, if like, you've been mm -hmm. here long enough, but if you know these are not. Okay, Claire, if you're in Minnesota, and somebody tells you, if you, let's say you come into the office, and you're like, Mary, I love your or do you like my shirt? And I say, oh, it's interesting. What does that mean? So if I was to say that to you, that would usually mean, or if you said that to me, I'd think, yeah. you don't really like it very much, but you don't know how to say, I really don't <laughs> like your shirt. So you'd say, hmm, that's interesting. Oh my God, you know Minnesota passive aggressive culture very well, it seems. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Minnesotans, Midwesterners, if they say interesting, they're not a fan. They don't uh -huh. like it. Yeah. They just don't know how to say anything else. They can, of course, say anything mean. Um, what about, how do you, I don't know if you all say this in the UK, but how do you finish this little game that kids play? Duck, duck. That's, no <laughs> that's right. In a game that, oh, do you know, Chelsea? How would you, duck, duck. Yes. Well, so in the rest of the U.S., we say duck, duck, goose. But Minnesotans have decided that it's duck, duck, gray duck, which doesn't make any sense. I don't even <laughs> know what that game is. You know, I think it's when you sit in a circle, yeah, and you, like, tap the, the kids' heads as you run by. And if you say goose or gray duck here in Minnesota, that person is it and has to chase you. It's just, like before you could yeah. see it. It's like a little game. It's a kid's game. Um, have you ever heard Ope? Ope? No. 
No, I've never heard oh. dope. <laughs> wow. Start using when you visit us. Um, the perfect use case for ope is like you accidentally run into somebody in the hallway or you accidentally bump them coming out of the cafe or the bathroom. You'll be like, oh, excuse me, or oh, I didn't see you there. It's kind of just a reaction. One more, actually two more. No, just one more. Um, what do you call, like if you go to a restaurant and you order Coke or Pepsi or Sprite, what is, what is the general term for that? So this is something that people in the UK don't un even understand. So this is a Northern U English thing. I would say I'd like pop. What? Yeah. Clear. Really? Yeah, that's what that's it too, okay. whereas like the US says soda. Like I want a yeah. soda. Or I guess I've heard in the South, I'll say like, like Coke is pop. It's Coke. It's pop. Yeah. But we so say in the rest of the UK, they'd say, I'd just like a Diet Coke. I'd like, but but in the North, we said like a can of pop. So yeah. now we're all a little bit more cultured and can appreciate <laughs> a little bit more of- I'm not sure anybody's know. ever called people from Newcastle cultured. I, d I don't know whether I should say that, but it's not something that's synonymous with, with Newcastle. <laughs> I don't know if it's synonymous with Minnesota either. So. I know we have pack members all over the globe. So, but. Yeah, this has been so fun. And I love just seeing how connected we already are. Obviously, it makes sense sharing the English language, but there's still so many of these phrases that we both use. So just a reminder that we're different, but the same. And this was fun. Um, okay, we uh, before we dive in to talking about EMEA and your leadership philosophies, um, just, wanted to, just wanted to kind of ground us um, in a question to get to know you a little bit better um, and kind of where how you're showing up today. So we want to know what has been on your mind, Claire, and what's been on your heart recently? So, so while I've been thinking about this, a, a lot of it so... You know, anybody from the company that listens will know that we've just come out of quarter end and quarter end for me is a very tough part of the year because I take it so personally. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a good quarter end affects me, a bad quarter end affects me, but it takes up my entire psyche as it's coming close to the end. Um, and the reason for that is because of my commitment to the business to deliver. I've been I've been hired, I've been lucky enough to be employed to do the job that I do. Um, and that means the world to me. But I am so focused on that, that that takes up everything for me. That is every waking moment, which is which is more hours out of the day than not coming up to quarter end. Mm -hmm. and, and that really does overtake everything. Um, and without giving too much away, this has been the toughest quarter that is a region we've had. So it's also taken over my heart. It actually takes off my heart anyway, but 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 that's that's a different part of, of the answer. So mm -hmm. making sure that we maintain positivity, that we keep heads up, that we maintain motivation or increase motivation and we come back fighting right now whilst mm -hmm. keeping the culture after a tough quarter is really hard to do. Um, you know, and, and quarters don't finish 
they just almost carry on because the next day is just the next day. You know, things don't change. You don't get downtime. You just start all over again, heading towards the end of the next quarter. So I take this incredibly personally. Um, and I'm outside of work. I'm, inc- I'm very emotional. So the emotions and the come down at end of quarter are huge. And you just have to find a way to, to continue for that. Um, so that's honestly what's been in my head recently and making sure that we deliver the very best we can, which has been my commitment to the business and being as predictable as we can, because mm-hmm. that's that's how I measure myself. But I also measure myself on the success and happiness of the team, which leads into the heart part, because whilst you build a business and numbers are one thing, actually the numbers only come from the people. And the people are what what makes up the hard part, because if people aren't happy, that hurts. You know, I want people to be here because they want to be here. I want to see them successful. Success brings people's motivation up. It brings their demeanor up. You see people smile. I, that That's been taking over a lot for me. And then coupled into all of that is work-life, home-life balance which I will hold my hands up to now, I am incredibly bad at. Mm -hmm. You have your phone, you have your laptop. Even in an evening when I'm on the sofa, sitting next to my husband, having some downtime, my laptop's on my knee. So, you know, that part of it, making sure that I'm I'm giving enough time to my friends and family Mm -hmm. is also highly important because I'm not very good at that. Well, thank you for sharing. I mean, vulnerably, to be honest, because as you said, like this is really heavy stuff that is weighing on your head and your heart at the same time. And especially just hearing you talk about um, the type of leader you want to be and how you want to, you know, model wellness and work life, home life balance for your team during such a hard time. Um, I just think about how you make sure that you're doing that for yourself. Um, which I know can be challenging. So yeah, I'm just curious, um, like what are you doing after hearing that end of quarter is such a hard time? And then, you know, the next day is just the next day. (laughs) Um, So do you have any um, like rituals or or like self-care things that you do specifically around end of quarter? So, kind of help you through that time so that's on my to-do list i'll be completely honest that that is something that's been on my to-do list for about probably 15 years um having people together at quarter end and we didn't do a good job of that this quarter but having people together at quarter end is important for me so that we can celebrate success or we can commiserate and, and figure out the plan to pick up together um, but mm-hmm. you know, straight after straight after the end of quarter, either way, good or bad, the next day is all about making sure that we're in a strong position for the next day. You know, you can't afford to put your head down and have a ritual where you have some time off. That doesn't where you have to come back fighting. And you know, for me, it's all about leading by example. And if I can pick myself up and say, "This has happened," you know, however I feel. And this is what we need to do, get people together, analyze the wins and losses and figure out what we can do better individually, but collectively as a team, where we need help, how we're going to get help, calling on each other, using each other's experiences, good or bad, learning from each other and building from a business perspective, but also 
personally is is really important so um i allow myself to be reflective so i allow myself those those feelings of and you know even after the end of a really good quarter you cut there's a come down there is always a come down because you are so heightened by finishing that final day that you have to allow yourself to come down from a high or from a low accept those emotions understand the reason that you have those emotions and know that they will pass deal with those embrace them and then come out of the other side so that's probably the one ritual i have of allowing myself to feel what i feel and figuring out the next steps you know it just makes me think about i don't know if either of you have seen that diagram before where it says what people think success looks like. And it's just an arrow straight up into the right. It's like perfect. Um, And then the picture next to it says what success actually looks like. And it's like a squiggly line. It goes up, it goes down, it goes backward, it loops around. But like when you look at the macro big picture view, it is trending up towards the right. But, you know, it just makes me think like to do something worthwhile is gonna have highs and lows. And if there were never hard times or quarters that weren't as great as some, like the goal would probably be too easy, right? Do you agree? Or in sales, is it no, we always crush the number. Well, but that's what you're trying to do. But always crushing the number also has its downsides because you get used to that. Mm -hmm. And you have to accept that it's not always that easy, whether there's economic factors, whether, I mean, there could be all sorts of things happen, COVID, you know, the downturn in the economy. It could be something Mm -hmm. in your own life that takes your concentration away. There's always going to be things, but what matters is how you come back from it because that shows that you've built. If you allow yourself to sink, you're not going to come back from that. So it's character building. You know, having a bad quarter is, is in many respects character building, but you have to have the passion and the enthusiasm and the determination to power back from that and show that it was just a blip um yeah because you know if it becomes more than once if it becomes several times it becomes a bit of a habit and that's when you've got a problem mm-hmm. i think this is a great segue into kind of leading in just to learning more about the amia business because rewind two three years ago now 2021 claire you started in april with a couple other folks in amia april 2021 and the EMEA business did not exist at the time. And fast forward now to 2023, we have an office in the UK, we have an office in Germany, we have over 100 employees over there. The biz, you know, t- sales are growing. Um, just tell us about what that's been like building out Arctic Wolf in EMEA and maybe what's been the hardest and the most rewarding part of that journey. So the last two and a half years, I would honestly say, has been the hardest part of this journey. Um, the scale at which we've built has been a roller coaster that I could never have imagined. So when I interviewed with Nick, it was in around November 2020, um, and we had a conversation. And at the time, I wasn't looking for a role, but everybody that knows Nick, being Nick, is 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 more than compelling and had me captivated you know is you you can't 
underestimate the power of talking to Nick and the way he sold Arctic Wolf, even though I already knew people in the US made it made it an opportunity that I knew that if I passed that up, I'd be turning down the opportunity of a lifetime. I, I, you know, to be able to come into Amir where there was nothing legacy, there was there was nothing to fix with headcount, so you could bring your own team in and build mm-hmm. something that was part of a business that was already mature in North America and that already had a customer base, it had a proven service. You knew what you were doing. There were many processes in place. There were teams that we could learn from was, was an opportunity that just doesn't come along in EMEA. So typically, when you start as a startup in EMEA, the North America business would have been operating for maybe 12 to 24 months. So the business has started, there's been a proven market and very quickly, typically organizations look to expand. The difference with Arctic Wolf was that it was many years and there were already around 750 people when I joined. So there was already a proven viable service that had many, many happy customers and employees, a lot of whom we knew from from previous days. Mm. So when we joined in April, We joined with six people and at that time, um, many people will have heard me say this, we had no customers, we had no partners, we had no brand. Um, All we knew was from IDC and Forrester telling us that from a maturity of MDR perspective, we were around two years behind North America. Our competition was here, so Rapid7, CrowdStrike, EDR, MDR players were already in region um, and that it was a great time to enter the market. But that was all we knew. That was simply, you know, apart from the background that we'd done, that really was all we knew. So uh, we came into market, there were six of us with more imposter syndrome than you could possibly imagine. Literally, I think we all spent six months wondering when we were going to get figured out. Um, (laughs) And I think I did say to Nick on many occasions, have you figured this out that you, you, you might not have done the right thing yet? Anyhow. Um, so we came into the region really scrapping, you know, we had to go out and we had to build everything from scratch, which is one of the hardest parts, but also the most fun part because you're on the phone. We, you know, as a team, we would talk to each other every morning, 8am. We're all on a call every single day, sharing our learnings. What did you see yesterday? What happened? What did you learn? And and we did this for months and months and months. So the team was so incredibly close that, mm-hmm. you know, we were one. We were working 18 hours a day, every day, but the phone was always on. Uh, and, and the business started moving more quickly than we could have imagined. We beat the quota that we had in quarter one, then we beat the quota that we had in quarter two, and we're thinking... This this is going to drop at some point. Then we did the same in Q3, and unfortunately, this is this this pattern has um, has continued to grow. But the growth, the scale at which we've grown, you know, we're 170 people in two and a half years in a year. There's a SOC in Frankfurt. There's 50 people in Germany. Uh, we've got we've got teams in ten different countries now. We have got phenomenal coverage, but to grow a business from zero to one hundred and twenty and in one hundred and seventy in less than three years is is staggering. I remember talking to a VP of EMEA several years ago who told me that he'd he'd hired forty people in the first two years of starting the business in EMEA, 
And I was thinking, that's insane. We've done 170 in two and a half years. That's insane. So it's been a roller coaster. And so I think the hardest part of all of this is continuing to hire the best people that you possibly can at that scale when you have a little known brand. You know, you're going out saying you need to come and join Arctic Wolf. It's brilliant. You know, the culture's great. The service is great. This is what we do. And people are saying, who are you? I've never heard of you before. What? Why would I want to come and work for you? And then they call you Arctic right. Fox and it just all goes a bit wrong. Anyhow, <laughs> so, you know, t- it's been two and a half years of an absolute roller coaster, a whirlwind. And the hardest thing has been building a culture at the scale of hiring that we've been through because that's just... Mm-hmm you're hiring in your network you're hiring outside of your network you're bringing people in that you have to trust to work with you to make this successful you're opening your arms to people that you know are good because somebody that you know that knows them and so on and so forth um so i think Mm -hmm. that's probably been the hardest part of this that actually that absolute scale in such a short period of time yeah wow i can't Honestly, as you were sharing your story, I just can't imagine literally starting from scratch. Like that feels like such a big project, obviously. I mean, to your point, we had the, you know, you had the infrastructure and things here in the US, but it's it's still different. You didn't have the brand, you didn't have customer base, you didn't have anything in EMEA. And I think also, as I was listening to you, I feel like there were so many life lessons when you were talking about you know, having to start from scratch and just, I feel like sometimes problems and things can feel so big, but you just have to start and work together and get through it. Um, And then when you were talking about imposter syndrome as well, just a reminder that like, we all feel that a a lot of us feel like we do not know what we are doing. We're just making it up (laughs) as we go. (laughs) Um, But when we have, when we have each other and we're stronger together, and we're bought in, I think imposter syndrome easily becomes like the confidence that you need to, to become a leader. Um, it does. But I have to say that this wouldn't have happened without the support of the US team. It did not matter who we asked for help or how stupid we felt or how many basic questions that we asked for things that you guys have been doing for four or five years. We were starting, you know, we're going back to Lane and and Nick and saying, really stupid question, but what does this mean? And, you know, no question was a stupid question. The support, everybody that we asked for help, without exception, was there to help and support us. It didn't matter what time of day or night, there was always an answer in a Slack channel. Every The drive of everybody in this company was to help us be successful. And we could not have done it without that. If we'd been set off on our own, there you go, six people, off you go, Mm -hmm. we we would have failed. But the fact that, you know, we had seven, I think it was seven of the execs, we had Nick, um, Mark Manglemart, Lane, Dan, Will, come over, Bob, um, in September of that year, not to talk about business, to get to know us as individuals, to go and have a good time and to get to know us and build our confidence as part of the team. And the memories that we've got of that will stay with us forever. 
because the support that we had was like no other organization. And that's when I knew that what everybody said about the culture of the company at that time, at that moment in time was 100% true. It was, it was inspiring and it helped me to shape the person that I want to be in the business that I want to run based on the way the leadership supported us then. Wow. I mean, as you were sharing, I was just thinking that like, it's a really great testament to our culture of being stronger together and winning together and mm-hmm. I remember running around, running alone. Oh, we, we didn't run alone at any time. It didn't matter. We had, we, we had support on customer calls. We had support on partner calls. Time zones didn't matter. As long as people were helping us, that's all that mattered. And then it came to setting up the SOC and Mark and Brett and Lisa were over here all the time, building the team and giving them the confidence and really helping us to make this what it is. So, you know, whilst you look at the EMEA region and how successful it's been and growing so quickly, for me, this is about the support that we had to get to this point as well. And that can't be overlooked because that is a fundamental part of what's got us to this point. That was great. We're going to take a quick pause right now to hear a security win from one of our security services pack members. Hi, I'm Adam. I'm a technical lead in S2 out of Arctic Wolf's Waterloo office. Recently, I was able to help a customer with a very serious misconfiguration. It started while we were running a proof of concept search across all of our customers. I was looking for customers with large numbers of inbound connections to sensitive ports. At the time, I was looking for RDP, SMB, and NetBIOS traffic. All of these services are security concerns if they're left internet facing and will attract thousands of malicious connections inside of a minute once they're exposed. I quickly noticed RDP had a few outliers. It's a favorite target of attackers because it allows complete control of a system if you can guess the right username and password combination. It's also had its fair share of vulnerabilities. In this case, a client was receiving just under 40 million login attempts a week over RDP. So we reached out, notified them of the situation and asked for a meeting to uh, review it. They were initially very calm about it and told us their configuration was operating as expected. It took us quite some time to be able to meet and we continued to see these massive numbers of login attempts. Once we joined the call, we found out that they had moved to a remote workforce. Instead of relying on a VPN, as is something we'd recommend, they had opened a block of high numbered ports and set up port address translation to expose the RDP service on each workstation to one of these high numbered ports. This let each employee connect to a specific port on their public IP and access their own workstation. More concerningly, we also found out that they had removed their firewall entirely. They were using a router with access control rules as their only network protection device. They had installed a firewall previously, but it had been undersized, uh, the CPU wasn't powerful enough, and dropped connections, so it was removed. The concierge security team and I quickly shared our concerns with this setup. After some discussion, the customer understood the huge amount of risk they were exposing themselves to and are currently actively working to put firewalls in place and close this remote access uh, vulnerability to their systems. We work to prevent compromises before they happen at several levels. After all, a pinch of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Had this configuration been left in place, the customer would have had almost certainly faced security issues, but now they're on the right track. You started to talk a little bit about the culture that you've obviously had to build in EMEA 
And we started this podcast with a fun little <laughs> culture game. Um, so I'm just curious, what's something that would surprise people about doing business in EMEA that is different to doing business in North America? I, I think if I say it's different over here once more, I might get fired. So I need to be very <laughs> careful that I don't say that too many times because it's really hard not to say that. So EMEA is mm -hmm. made up of over 125 different countries. You know, mm -hmm. the, there are over 200 languages, but mainly over 20 spoken languages. And if you look at the countries that we have teams, you know, give you some examples. We do all of our global calls, our enablement calls, our SKO, our QBRs, all in English. We've got people here in region that are English, German, French, even Swiss French, I'll say, um, Dutch, uh, Swedish, Danish, Finnish, Norwegian, all different first language speakers that take part in this, but, but we forget about that. We forget that we've got, people forget that when they speak quickly, people in Germany might not be able to keep up or, or the different, uh, you know, we talked about things that we might not understand from our own languages. And we're, we're all speaking English as our first language. You imagine throwing some of these phrases into a, a QBR or, or, or a global call, and you've got people in Germany saying, I have absolutely no idea what they've just said. You know, and it's really important to remember that we cover so many different com countries, so many different languages, but it's also the culture thing. And, and I think it's very easy to forget that the way we do business in Germany is not the way you do business in the UK. The buyer mm -hmm. motivation in Denmark is not the same as the buyer motivation in Austria, as an example. So as we're building out the business, pricing, um, uh, collateral, we have to take all of these things into consideration, incentives, spiffs, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's a language, one size over here, so one size globally doesn't fit all, but take mm -hmm. the EMEA right. region separately and one size certainly doesn't fit all because the region is so vast and so different. Mm -hmm. You know, so I can't just pop over and go and see my team in Denmark and then pop to Sweden for lunch, even though they're part of the Nordics. It's impossible. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So for me to be able to get around the whole region, you know, I think I've been on something like eight to ten flights in the last two weeks because we've got to support the team and we've got to get around. And, and that's not necessarily easy to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's such a good reminder as you were just talking about, um, you know, English potentially not being someone's first language. I know we've heard from some different PAC members, just reminders to speak slower um, and to maybe not use some of, you know, the phrases and things that we were talking about at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, so even as you were as you were sharing that, I was thinking like, oh, I guess I could be maybe potentially talking a little slower on the podcast um, and things like that. So always just a good reminder. Yeah, it gives me just so much too more appreciation for what you do, Claire, like leading such a vast and diverse team and also 
relating and collaborating with all of us here over in the US and Canada, mm -hmm. like that is a ton of nuance to like carry into your day to day and how you go about your, your work. So kudos to you. That's incredible. Thank you. And you know, sometimes it is difficult because things that might be successful in North America is an example might not work over here or they might work in some countries over here but they might not work in other countries so it's it i think one of the hardest things is thinking about maybe being able to do something in certain regions but we might have to adapt it or just not do it elsewhere or mm -hmm. you know if we're going to send an email out a company-wide email to customers for example you can't send that in english to germans because they're just they just, and we haven't even entered France yet. So it all becomes in, in very different again when we go into France. But it's it's just thinking about those things in advance rather than think it's a great idea. We'll just put out a podcast to everybody or to our customer base. You have to think about the nuances to that in advance for everything that we do. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I think... Um like I'm seeing a lot of thoughtfulness in you. You're thinking strategically and thoughtfully about all these different countries and the employees you support. And even going back to the beginning of this conversation, I remember being struck by when you were talking about what's on your heart and just how much you're thinking about your people and how heavily it weighs on you. And I think um, transitioning a little bit here into talking about leadership, I love seeing just the empathetic servant leader in you as you look to serve all these different countries and people and your teams and motivating them and keeping them inspired and excited and feeling like they can be successful. Um, so as you've grown as a leader, what's some of the best leadership advice you've been given? So one of the best bits of advice that I always take, and I'll never forget my dad saying this to me many, many years ago, and you'll probably hear me have cited this before, but always treat other people the way that you want to be treated. No matter what your emotions are, whether you're angry, and we don't always get this right, and I don't always get it right, but I always recognize, you know, that's where emotional intelligence comes in. I always recognize when I haven't got it right and apologize when an apology is necessary but always try and treat others the way that you yourself would like to be treated. And that's a cross role. You know, for me, job title is just simply that. It's a title on a bit of paper. It doesn't mean that you're a different person to anybody else. It just means that your job's slightly different. Everybody has their own challenges. Everybody has their own struggles. People have different lives. And you always need to try and be empathetic and understand people, and that comes from from being a very active listener and being interested in people because this is a people business. You know, it doesn't matter what we do, numbers won't come unless we treat people properly. And I think that's a great ethos that this business has is that, and, and one of the things that I tried to do in EMEA is make this a people first business because if you get that right, everything else will trickle down and follow. People will want to come and join the company. People will want to be successful. You'll be able to hire the best. People will deliver numbers. People will do the best they can because they care. So, you know, try and make your business a people first business. But the other great thing, and, and I try and do this as much as possible is lead by example. So, you know, the, even with the SDRs who have what I would argue is probably the toughest job in the business, 
always be prepared to go and do that job themselves yourself so if they do a call out day i'll go and sit with them and i'll do some calling out because you know if they see me doing it then that's me leading by example you know try and be a role model by demonstrating your values and your work ethic and your behavior and the behavior that you want other people. And I think leading by example is incredibly strong. And I think people forget to do that some of the time. Um, I think effective communication is really important. And that's not just about verbal communication. It's also about listening, you know, listen actively to people be prepared to take their comments on board. Be open to criticism when criticism is required and take that on board. And again, mm -hmm. that goes back to emotional intelligence. And I think the other great one is empower your team. Allow your team to take responsibility for their own roles, to make decisions, um, and to be able to come to you if that's not working out the way they wanted to. But allowing your team to be empowered will make people feel like they have ownership of their role. Um, and I think people taking responsibility for their own role is, is, is also incredibly key. Um, and something that, that may or may not fit into to this and probably fits into some of the other questions is be yourself. Don't try and be somebody you're not. You know, if, you, if you're a soft person, show your soft side. You know, if you're an emotional person, show your emotional side. We've seen our leadership many a time show their emotions on stage. I regularly have to walk away from a microphone because I get so passionate about the way I feel that I can't hold my emotions in. So be, be yourself and allow people to see the real person you are. Don't try and be something you're not because you think you have to be. Mm. Sorry, so, that's probably a lot more than you expected. No, I, no, it was great. And I don't know about you, Mary. I feel like I'm just processing. Um, uh, listening to you, you clearly have such a high EQ or emotional intelligence as you were talking about. And I'm just curious, how do you ensure your leaders are also like approaching their leadership style with a high EQ? Because you did just talk about being yourself, right? And not everyone has the emotional intelligence that maybe you have. So how do you like help leaders find their EQ if maybe it's a little bit different? Sometimes gently, because if you yeah. don't do it gently, you don't always get the reaction that you want. And I never force my thoughts on people. Well, maybe I do actually. People would probably say I do force my thoughts on them quite often because I am, I am quite direct. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Um, but people are all different, you know. If you look at the leadership team in Amir, everybody is different, and we're all driving to the same thing, which is to build a very successful, happy team and a successful business and build the culture. So our vision and our values, I think, are similar, but the way people approach that is different. And again, mm -hmm. if you think about different cultures and different countries, what they need or how they deliver their business is also very different. So the way leaders mm -hmm. deliver in Germany, as an example, is incredibly different to the way the leadership deals in the UK. So for me, how do I get the best out of my leadership team is I get to know them. 
as people, but also what drives them. Because if I don't know what drives them, I can't understand where they're coming from when they are making comments or when they're trying to motivate. And if they're not hitting the spot, sometimes I'll gently, or maybe not so gently, quite directly, just say, why don't you think about this? Or think about maybe doing it a different way, and here's an example. And I think bit Mm -hmm. by bit, you encourage people to think about the way they are behaving um, and think about the way that they might be perceived by other cultures or by other nationalities, because that's also very different as well. It's hard, Chelsea. It's a really hard thing to do. And there's not a magic switch that somebody's EQ can just go through the roof. It simply doesn't. People are built differently. For me, this has been a really long journey for many different things in life, personally and professionally. I've done courses like cognitive behavior therapy. I've read many books on emotional intelligence, there was a particularly good book called um, How Not to F Up Your Life, which was which was actually one of the most powerful books that, that I think I've read. Writing that down, writing that I'll, down. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of it, on a, a phenomenally powerful. But I've mm-hmm. read a, a lot of books on how to get the most out of yourself and your own emotional intelligence. But actually for me, Cognitive behavior therapy was probably the most powerful thing that I have ever done. And Mm -hmm. if I could encourage anybody to do something to help themselves increase Mm -hmm. their EQ or to think about different ways to deal with it, that changed my life. Um, Mm -hmm. So I tried to bring different elements of that to different people in Mm -hmm. different ways, but there's no magic switch. I would love to say I I, I found a way, but I haven't. I just try really hard. Well, I, I just love your transparency. I think that'll be inspiring to so many people. And that, yeah, that's not, there's no matter to switch. It took a lot of work and effort and energy to pursue growth and healing. And I love you just shedding light on therapy and, and the help that has been in your life. And mm-hmm. We're all on a path. You yes. Know. We're all Absolutely. on a path. And, and one thing that I will say for me personally is that the path that I've been on, you know, money is lovely and it helps you have nice things and allows you to be comfortable, but my driver is not money. It really isn't. My driver is not a job title. My driver is not ego. My driver is all about people now and helping people to be the best that they can be and seeing people be successful by far. You know, that's... That's what, back to the heart question, that's what gets me out of bed and keeps me going every day. It's it's people. Because without that, we're, we're really nothing. It, it, in a work mm-hmm. sense, but from a friend's family, work outside of life, that's my driver now. You know, for those that are just listening, I, I loved, Claire, observing that as you were saying all that, you had your hand over your heart as you were talking about the people and what gets you out of bed every day and that it's not money and it's not ego and it's not title, but it's the people that you serve. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, it's been so fun having these conversations with leaders and I really hope that as the greater pack gets to hear these conversations, they're inspired. And I think it's, we're just so, um, it's a gift that we get to have leaders like you that are so 
people driven or servant hearted in how they lead and, and really wanting to see those within the pack be successful and be their best. Mm-hmm. It's really special. So thank you, Claire, for being an example of that. I know we're kind of coming up close to time here, but I would love to talk for just a minute or so here on women in leadership. You have have a really amazing career and and we know just by looking at the data that we still see not we don't see re- as the representation um, of women that we want to see in leadership roles in the world. So what would you say um I mean, I'll just like throw all the questions out there. Like, how do you invest in the next generation of women in leadership, specifically in the technology industry? And what would you say to maybe baby Claire early in her career or some a, a younger woman that aspires to be to lead like you someday? What would what um, advice would you have for them? So, so first of all, I think I'd say have a plan. I didn't have a plan. I think I landed <laughs> where I am. Some might say out of luck, others might argue with that, but but look, I didn't have a plan. You know, I thought I was going to, I studied languages at university. I thought I was going to go and work in the European Union, which is a Brit would have fallen on its face a few years ago. But, um, you know, that's where I thought I would end up. But I I fell into sales um, and found something that I loved uh, and I pursued that. Um, but it wasn't planned. I didn't have a path. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I've, I've fallen on my path. So I think have a plan and understand what really interests you and what really motivates you and what really drives you rather than sometimes what you ought to do. I think society has a, a, a big play on people's careers now rather than people thinking, what, what do I really enjoy doing? What do I want to spend my life doing? Because ultimately... We spend so much of our lives at work that if you don't love what you do, then you're going to end up either jumping from job to job or or incredibly unhappy. And I wouldn't like to see anybody go through that. From the woman perspective, I'm sure you've heard the stat that um, women apply for a jo- men apply for a job if they've got 60% of the qualifications that are required. Women will only apply for the job if they believe they've got 100% of the qualifications that they require, which is why I kept asking Nick Schneider if he was sure that he'd made the right choice. Um, But, you know, but but you have to trust yourself, you know, trust in yourself, trust in your capabilities, trust in yourself to learn and grow and not go into a job only if you meet the 100% because nobody I do, if you put my job description down now on paper and said, do you meet 100% of that? The answer would still be no, um, you know, because we've all got so much room to grow and take the opportunities, but be prepared to learn, to ask questions, to admit when you don't know things um, and allow yourself to fail from time to time because we all fail. We don't get everything right. You know, allow yourself to do that and then build from that. Um, we don't see enough women in tech, but there's an awful lot more than there were when I ended IT. Mm. I remember, uh, I'm not going to say who I was working for at the time, but I was with an organization that had just been acquired by a very large organization. Um, and somebody, actually a lady uh, who was senior in IT, came up to me at that time and said, 
don't expect to go anywhere in this business because it's an old boys club. And I looked at that and I thought, I, I don't, I, I was, I was gobsmacked. I, I'd basically just been told to have no career ambitions within this organization because it was an old boys club, as we say. I don't know if you say that in, in the US, but you know, no boys club is, I, I, I'll not go into detail. Anyhow, um, and that really spurred me on. But compared to back then, there are so many more women. If you look at a lot of the leadership team in Arctic Wolf, even two years ago when I was over, there was a photo of the women in leadership in our organization, and there are so many more. And that's fantastic to see because no industry should be gender specific. You know, it, that doesn't exist. That's, that's been wiped out. Um, you know, we've got female CSTs who are, phenomenally good but again gender doesn't matter your ability to can can be to do whatever you want to do um there should be no gender specific roles how do i mentor um women honestly the same way as i would mentor anybody else i take great pleasure in spending time with people and understanding um helping them to train get, getting them to trust me um, being approachable, um, listen to them. I keep talking about actively listening to people because that's hugely important, sharing knowledge, allowing them to shadow some of my day-to-day -day job to see if actually they would like to do what I do. It's actually terrifying to many because I don't know how I do what I do some of the time. <laughs> um, encourage critical thinking, but give feedback as well. So, you know, if I can help somebody um, accelerate in the career or be be more successful again it doesn't matter whether it's a a woman or a man back to that's what gives me real pleasure um, but it is wonderful to see so many women coming into tech and I think we're just going to continue to see that grow okay that was great now we are going to take a really short break and hear a recent win from our sales team Hi everyone, I'm Melissa and I am an account representative here in our Minnesota headquarters for Arctic Wolf. Um, last month, we were able to support a client during one of the worst times in his entire career. Um, his organization experienced a major ransomware attack and luckily they contacted our incident response team for support. Um, this org had a very lean two-person IT team and we could tell that they were extremely overwhelmed with not only uh, you know, the ransomware attack, but everything that they you know, had to manage on a day-to-day. -day. Um, luckily, they had such a great experience with our incident response team that we were able to save them thousands of dollars um, by helping them you know, get back up and running. And this client, understandably, was extremely distracted after you know our team went in and helped them get back up and running, that he kind of stopped being responsive with our team regarding setting up the next step, which is discussing some of our proactive cybersecurity operations solutions to really help them you know, prevent this from happening going forward. Um, so I decided to take a more personal approach and write him a handwritten card in the mail just letting him know that we're extremely grateful that we were able to work with him and help him through that hard time and that we're here whenever he is ready to, to discuss some of our other solutions. Um, within a week, he reached out via email um, and within 50 days after that, we were able to get him set up with our entire suite of solutions 
um, including an incident response retainer with that IR team that he worked with previously. Um, something I think that really, really helped us in this situation was truly our empathy for the client and understanding that he had just gone through something and he mentioned that he lost you know, years of his life going through this attack. Um, and, and just having that empathy there for him and, and really showcasing that that our uh, team is really here to help him be more proactive, help him with an ongoing partnership, really diving into our security journey with our concierge security team, and just giving him that 24 by seven peace of mind that he truly needed. Um, another thing that I think was really great in this instance is the partner that we were able to tie to this um, was someone that had wanted to work with this, this client for literally a year and a half beforehand. Um, and we were able to tie them in and really showcase like because our incident response team did such a great job and we had built such a great rapport and trust with this client, we were able then to recommend one of our amazing partners um, that now has the opportunity to really gain even more um, business with this client and, and work with them as well. So I think overall it was just a really great win for our incident response team, really great win for our Arctic Wolf you know, sales organization and a really great um, you know, partner and to better together story with our partners. And then of course, last but not least, it's an amazing story for, for this client that now has the support and guidance that he needs to, to really ensure that he can sleep better at night. I feel like we've embedded so much wellness, unless there's anything Claire specifically you wanna, if there's any other like well-being things you wanna talk Well, on. no, because with, you know, how do I prioritize wellness? I don't. And, and, and again, that is my absolute failure. What I will say is that I get up at five o'clock every morning and I go to the gym every day and I every day, you know, people think I am absolutely bonkers and then I'll go and do a full day's work. So I'm in the office by seven thirty, eight o'clock, but by which time I've already trained. And, and being able to do that allows me to think about my day ahead and, you know, it, it gets emotion out. But if I don't do that in the morning, I know I won't do it in the evening because I'm literally brain dead. So by the time I get home, yeah. I want to have some food and I don't want to go and exercise. So I do it every morning instead. So that really is my priority wellness. I was going to say, honestly, Claire, I feel like maybe it's just the how you're defining prioritizing wellness. Cause when I hear you, I hear it. Like you talk about reading and you go to the gym every day. And I had read an interview you did where you like, you have your pilot's license, you make time for hobbies, you travel and you go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> behavior therapy. Like you are there. You have like taken initiative to like, make sure that you're thriving. Mm -hmm. I have, but not regularly. So a lot of that has been sporadic. So as an example, since I joined Arctic Wolf, I haven't flown for two years. Oh, oh no. So, and, you know, I rarely, I, I listen or read books to go to sleep and empty my head. Otherwise, I won't mm -hmm. get to sleep. So prioritizing mm -hmm. my wellness is something, going to the gym is a necessity for me. It's part yeah. of a routine. And if I don't do it, I'll struggle. I will really struggle. Um, yeah. But doing doing separate things for me and family is something I really need to get better at doing. So I've done a lot of wellness, but when yeah. I get engrossed in a job, that's that's me. I'm 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 job first. But I think that's so real too because 
like there's it's gonna ebb and flow how you prioritize your wellness you know and to your point like sometimes you're gonna have more time for your hobbies and flying and therapy and sometimes all you're gonna be able to get in is your 5 a.m workout and like that's how you're prioritizing mental health um so yeah i think it's real and important to hear that because i feel like there also is this pressure to like look at mental health and be perfect within like executing your mental health and yeah it just like puts unnecessary stress and strain on like how you're caring for yourself you know i think too sometimes like wellness is knowing this week it's going to be a hard week and i am going to be working a lot but like if i know if I want to do well for my career and feel good about my output and know that I took care of these people or this project well, it's going to mean a lot of hours. And I think sometimes there's a space for that too, of like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to feel well if I drop the ball here, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is very true. And sometimes doing the best that you can do at work gives you mental wellness because exactly. you feel like you've achieved something. Um, well, before we get into rapid fire, Claire, I just wanted to thank you. I feel like this has been such a beautiful conversation. I have been like holding back tears throughout the entire hour. I'm not going to lie. So thank you for just showing up so authentically. And I, I just think I could listen to you speak. I don't know, for an hour plus more. Um, yeah, I want to echo what Chelsea said. I was like taking notes on my my little interview sheet with your questions. Um, yeah, I think you had yeah. really well, great. Well, thank you for there. having me. I really do appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, and I know I don't I don't get to personally work with you every day, but I'm just so thankful and grateful that we have a leader like you here at Arctic Wolf. Um, so yes, thank you thank for you. how you show up. I really um, appreciate yeah, that. Thank I've you. Been a great chinwag. Well done. <laughs> she's a great wag. Great chin wag. Okay. On that note, let's end it with our rapid fire. Um, and so just first thing that comes to your mind when I ask this question. Okay. Best concert of your life. Can I change that a bit with the best festival sure. of my life? So I love yeah. festivals. Yeah. And yeah. I guess you know what Glastonbury is. Mm-hmm. Glast- I do, I Glastonbury is, is probably one of the biggest global music festivals there is. And okay. it's three days, three, four days of absolute carnage where you have more bands than you can imagine. And I think that was probably the best concert ever. There was U2, there was Pink. I think Madonna was there that year, mm. Coldplay. Uh, yeah, you. it was phenomenal. Festivals are the way to do it. You get so much bang, more bang for your buck. You do. At a festival. Yeah, Madonna Coldplay, that sounds amazing. Okay, Claire, what's your favorite word? I actually can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> okay, I love that. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave it to everyone's imagination. Yeah, okay, yeah. look what your favorite word is. Um, a place on your bucket list. Cuba. I'd really like to go to Cuba. Okay. What's something that people often get wrong about you? I think because I'm often direct. I'm either direct or quiet. Um, And I think 
I, I, I don't think people know how to take me at times and I, I don't think they get to see my soft side. People people in the mirror would tell you because they see it all the time. But I, mm-hmm. I think perception in my role, in my directness, in sometimes the look on my face, because can, you can tell everything by the look on my face. I was once told to have Botox so that people didn't know what I was thinking at the time because my look on my face would give everything away. I think I think people don't get to see my soft side and they don't get to see that I literally cry at everything. Adverts or commercial, as you call them. Yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they just have to listen to this podcast and I think they'll definitely get a sense of your softer side. Um, okay, last one. Give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that has brought you joy. So I got married earlier this year, um, which was phenomenal. Yeah. But for me, whilst that's not an ordinary moment, being surrounded for the weekend with my... It, it wasn't about a show. It was about having my close, our, our closest friends and family around us to celebrate it with us and having three days of being surrounded by the people that I love most in the world was one of the best things that I've had for a very long time. And Claire, wasn't that in like some very dreamy destination? No, it was in Scotland. Oh, I was in Scotland. I mean, that's Scotland. not a dreamy destination, Claire. It was like a ca- castle in Scotland, and it was a, it was a, okay, yes, okay. It wasn't a huge castle in Scotland, but it was, it was very, very picturesque, and we were there for the whole weekend, and everybody arrived on the Friday and left on the Monday. And we all stayed in the same house and the whole wedding was there and it was just a weekend of laughter and good food and wine. And it was just, it was about people, it was bringing people together and having a great time. Okay, well, thank you again, Claire. This has been so great. I can't wait for everyone to listen to this. Thank you. I, I, I really, I really appreciate doing this. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much. I hope you feel better soon. And I will be putting my new UK jargon to use. Good good luck. <laughs> Let me know how you get on. Woo! What a combo. Yeah, so good. So good. What's your biggest takeaway, Chelsea, at this moment? <sighs> there were so many gems. And, like, I wrote so much on my piece of paper. Um, I think, like, big picture my biggest takeaway was just being people-centric like leading with your heart putting people first treating people how you want to be treated Mm -hmm. like all the things that we know Mm -hmm. but to see a leader who's actually modeling that and leading in that way and that servant leadership by example I just, I feel so inspired to just honestly, like, be a better person. Oh, <laughs> I know that sounds like no, kind of funny, but it doesn't sound I'm funny. like, yeah, what about you? You know, I, I loved the whole conversation and it sometimes, you know, the simple and the known truths that sometimes you just need the reminder. I loved when she was just talking about be yourself and trust yourself. And I loved when she said, trust yourself to learn and grow that you will learn and grow and also trust your current capabilities. So twofold, it was just a really gentle, but great reminder of like, 
Mm-hmm. You are exactly who we need to be. Everybody listening is exactly who you need to be for the role you're in. And you can learn and grow mm-hmm. into who you want to be too. Um, but it also made me think too, like, I want to be the kind of leader that gives that belief to others too, of like, I'm mm-hmm. going to believe that you can learn and grow, mm-hmm. like give, take chances on people and leave that space for them to go from where they are to where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we hope that you are feeling inspired and proud to have a leader like Claire here at Arctic Wolf and be part of the pack. Um, It is December, so we are in full holidays mode. So we hope that you are finding ways to connect with your fellow pack members through some of our holidays activities um, and that you also are spending this time um, with family or friends or however you like to celebrate this time of the year. Um, before we transition into 2024, which is wow. wild. I can't even process that. And for those of you that maybe aren't part of the pack or are new here, we are saying howl, like, oh, days, not holidays. So however you celebrate, we just hope that you're connected to the people you love most and enjoying the season. I also know the holidays um, can be really challenging emotionally and mentally too. So if you're having a hard time, the days are longer, they're darker, you hear the songs of joy, but maybe reality doesn't reflect the Mm -hmm. most wonderful time of the year. Take care of yourself, reach out to somebody, reach out to us. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. So thanks for listening. Leave some comments in the Howler Slack channel if you're part of the pack. If you're not and you wanna join us, check out arcticwolf.com backslash careers and we will catch you next month. Yes, see you next time. Holidays. Oh, we should haul more often. <laughs>